let's jump right ahead to Gene Shepard from March 31st, 1965. It's the Playboy world we're going to hear about. Uh, right after this, beer ad. Boy, could I use one now. I'm Max Schmied. And uh, running well into the morning show this morning. Sorry, Bernard, but you know, you took a half hour off the top of my show. It serves you right. And for what, I say? For what? <laughs> this is WBAI New York. Here's Gene Shepard. Please give me a bottle of Ballantine Box beer. Pour me a glass of Ballantine Box beer. Excuse me. You happen to have a six-pack of Ballantine Box? May I have some of that Ballantine Box beer? Let me have a glass of Ballantine Box beer. If you've never tasted a genuine, mellow, aged Box, now's the time. But better hurry. Ballantine Box doesn't last long. This is W.O.R. New York. Searching for Janadu, you've come to the right place. You're in the right spot on the dial here. This is the only spot on the dial, of course, where the pleasure principle runs rampant, where the baser passions of man are continually uh, allowed to run like great wild horses over the Osage of life. Janadu. To the round tower, the child Harold went. I don't uh, like to frighten you too quickly. Of course, you know they say this time of the year is a good time of the year to uh, do a lot of things. This is the uh, this is the season when they claim that uh, New Yorkers begin to come out of the bushes, and they say that in a couple of days uh, they'll eat from your hand if you. Stand very quietly. Just hold your hand out there quietly. They'll come and nuzzle you, too, from time to time. If I told any of you where I spent the day, where I just came back from, you wouldn't believe me. 
And if you did believe me, I would not be able to do a show. There, I would be besieged by, by people down on their knees saying, tell us all about it, please. Is it the way it really seems? Is it the way they... I have, I have spent the last 24 hours or more actually in Janadu itself. Pleasure, Don. And, and I need a little encouragement. Would you please, uh, please give me a little encouragement here? Uh, hello, hello. Uh, you, you just, just, uh, watch, watch the little thing in there. All set there? Let's hear it. Oh, wait. Uh, hello. Watch the buttons. Uh, hit the, hit the wrong. Well, get organized here. There we go. No. Can't. Hello. You see, there's a dial tone on the other one. Get 61504PL. Okay. There we go. There we go. Now, uh, would you please encourage me? <laughs> would you please try that again? Very good. Very good. I like to hear that kind. Oh, would you do a little whining for me while we're still here? Uh, no whining. All right. Uh, just uh, hello. Uh, can Are you there? A little whining, please. Why don't you say, gee whiz, I'm cold? Oh, boy, that raises the hackles on the back of my neck just hearing it. Uh, I, I'm uh, speaking of uh, hackle raising. How long has it been since your hackles have really honestly been raised? You know, you can. it's easy enough to raise your hackles when you're just sitting there scratching and maybe spitting. But, I mean, honestly raising the hackles. If you if you think, uh, hello, hello, just keep an eye on me here. Hello, hello. Bob, that's it. the thing to do is watch me. And that's all. Leave the rest of the stuff. I'll call for it. I'll give you plenty of time. You know, uh, how long has it been since your hackles have been raised? Well, if... Uh, this doesn't raise your hackles. Nothing else will. Just hit the money button, please. There it comes. There it comes. Miller High Life in pop and pour cans. Distinctive Miller High Life in pop and pour cans. Just pop and pour Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. No opener needed. And inside every can, enjoy the hearty yet light goodness of Miller High Life. Brewed from a century-old recipe, only in Milwaukee. Miller High Life always gives you that perfect taste in beer every time. Always a bright, clear taste. Unequaled, unquestioned, unchanging. Now you can enjoy refreshing Miller High Life in Pop and Pour cans. Pop and Pour Miller High Life. Always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Now in Pop and Pour cans. I just feel in one of those moods tonight. Hackle raising. I, I uh, was in Chicago uh, over the weekend, and uh, <laughs> back and forth, you know. And, and I, I'll tell you this: uh, it's uh, Babylon revisited. You know, I'm beginning to believe that New York is the last stronghold of Victorianism. I really do, and and it, it's as though not only have uh, has there been a giant role reversal, which we have talked about from time to time on the show. But uh, the old ideas and premises upon which we based our judgments of various parts of the country are rapidly being reversed. In other words, New York has become Squaresville. 
And uh, uh, 50 years ago, the idea of a, of a hick, you know, coming out of the woodwork out there somewhere in Crawfordsville, Indiana, and uh, making the trek to the fabled and story Babylon of the East, New York, uh, this was this was a uh, this was a real thing. Of course, when you came out here, sin was rampant. But the trouble is, it became ossified here, and sin out here in the in in uh, in the New York area is an old-fashioned kind of sin. You know, it's like the hotshot gals down at the Copa. You know, this is considered very sinful here in, <laughs> in, in New York. You know, and and, uh, and of course, what happened is the natives came out of the woodwork and from Crawfordsville, Indiana. And they came to New York, and they took one look at sin and went back home and improved on it. Uh, they got a few ideas, and they went back home and started to work. And I can only say that the sybaritic life is so rampant out in Chicago as to make any sybaritic life that you think you know in the New York City area a brownie Cub Scout, Girl Scout troop by comparison. It's just, it's greasy kid stuff. And I mean greasy. You know, it's funny how many greasy kids there are around. And, uh, <laughs> greasy kid stuff. There's a lot of greasy kids. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I go out there, you know, and this is my home territory, and I'm, I'm surveying the scene, and I begin to realize that something that I've suspected for a long time, that New York is the last bastion of the 19th century. And as you go further west, it becomes more and more 20th century. And less and less realistic and less and less real in life itself. And it gets totally unreal until finally, uh, I'm sure that when you hit that far west coast, you get out there around L.A., life is one long hashish dream. It's, it's, it really, it's, it's one long, strange sob. Uh, in fact, I, I was uh, noticing one thing in Chicago, for example. They say that Muzak now uh, has taken over everywhere. It's much, much bigger in Chicago than it is here. They say that, that uh, there are uh, Muzak-equipped uh, funeral parlors that play non-controversial, non-denominational Cole Porter music. And uh, <laughs> I'm telling you the truth, and they advertise, and and uh, the 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 the, uh, the the good life has has gone gone completely out of uh, gone completely out of hand there. And have you wondered how certain magazines can can celebrate uh, a kind of sybaritic good life, a complete, and it, it seems to be so available. I've wondered about Playboy, for example, uh, the, the, the sybaritic life which they talk about, you know, the, the, the life of the Playboy, you know, this, this uh, tall, thin, angry young man on the go type concept, and it, it shows him sprinting across an empty street. He's never being pushed by little short, fat ladies from the Bronx or anything like that. He's always there with his little snap-brim hat and his $700 attaché case, and he's hailing and says, he plays hard and he works hard and all this jazz, you know. And at his leisure, it shows him in this, in this beautiful path. That's actually available in Chicago. That is not a myth in Chicago. And that's what, by, here it's a myth. You know, you, you go out and you get your big swinging, what you consider a Playboy pad, and it's over a Chinese restaurant in the East 60s, and, and the, you, you can smell the fried egg roll coming up through the, through the air conditioning, and, you know, the fist fights out in the street, and the bums laying in the doorway. They keep them all separate in Chicago. They have a corral for all the bums. They do. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they, they do. They, they separate the crummy life from the good life. There's a fence there, right? Right between the good life and the bad life. And, and, uh, 
And those who live in the crummy life never, ever go to the to the Mid-America Club. They just never hang around out in front and yell and holler in front of the door and sleep in the doorway and get drunk and drink Sneaky Pete and Thunderbird wine, all that stuff. And, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's very separate. And another thing, too, uh, that I was I was struck by, you have a feeling that Chicago in Chicago, it's Sunday every day. The streets are that empty and that quiet. And so because there are much fewer people, you never really realize that until you really go out there on, on a swinging weekday, what they call a swinging weekday, you, you can just definitely see separation between the peoples. You can honestly see that people are separate. They're separate little individuals. And so I'm walking around, and uh, I realize that maybe we're living in fantasy here in New York. Maybe we are living a fantasy uh, where, where, uh, where we're somehow based around 1895 in our concepts, or, some, or maybe 1912, something like that. And uh, out there, everybody, everybody takes things uh, so completely casually, and with, with, no, with no, uh, no sense of, uh, well, I suppose you can say, uh, no, sense of self, uh, no sense of self-consciousness, like cars, for example, are as casual out there as beer cans. Uh, you get a car, you throw it away. You buy another car, you throw it away. And I just say, <laughs> it's, a, it's all, it's all very casual. And, and that, that, uh, that Jean quality, that, that quality of a kind of, uh, opium smoker's dream is very definitely, uh, I, I saw two old ladies sitting up there knocking down double martinis at the top of the rock, looking out over all of Chicago, 16 million square miles of Chicago lakefront. You can see stretched out there, and these two old ladies are knocking down double martinis. And uh, they make, uh, for hippiness, they make anything that Edward Albee ever did look like last year's melodrama right out of East Lynn. And these old ladies are knocking it down there, and, and Chicago is a bit. It's a it's sort of a big, it's a backdrop. It becomes, have you, have you ever noticed uh, in so many of our magazine worlds, the town in which you live, uh, or the place where you operate is considered almost a set for your opera, a backdrop. Uh, a ba- you, you know that on the on the late late movies when you watch uh, the late movies and they come on they go and you see that that uh, background of New York City that big uh, picture of New York City. Do you know that all over the country they have that same background? That's not really New York they show on that picture. No, it isn't. That is the city. Just the city. It's the backdrop for modern living. It's the, uh, it's the urban complex of which we're all part of that has no real name. Uh, when you leave New York and you, say, head for Philadelphia, can you really tell when you come to the end of one city and the next one picks up? It's just this city, you know, great big, big fat backdrop and a lot of lights and a lot of tall buildings and the high-rise buildings reach out there and you can see the lake outlined against it and you know that this <laughs> you get tastes little intimations of life to come for example i lived in a house uh, the last couple of days where nobody uses last names 
I say that by the year 2750, last names will have disappeared. Now, I'm not talking about the number world, you know. A lot of guys will write these little uh, angry, uh, conservative articles about how numbers are taking us over and we're getting to be all numbered. No, I say no. There's something else in the wind where people will not have real names the way we know them, you know. Like Alex Joshua. There'll be no name like that or, or uh, nothing like Bolas Rutkowski. Because a name is, in a very real way, a name is controversial. It gives a man a background. It gives him a place and a context. And so uh, I spent three days with people who just said, uh, I'm Sam. <laughs> How would you like to have dinner with four girls, all of them are named Bobby? No back, no name at all, just Bobby. You just keep calling her Bobby or Barbie. Bobby, Barbie, or Sam. They, a lot of girls have the name Sam now, by the way. Uh, speaking of the great, uh, uh, <laughs> the great search for identity, this is WOR, the radio station. It is not only helping you in your search for identity, but it's searching for identity. It's and boy, they lost the identity. This is actually WBAI in New York, Schizophrenic Radio. Now back to Gene Shepard, March 31st, 1965. Family station, and we all know that the family is disintegrating in modern life, and it's tough to be a family station in the world of no families. Hit the button, please, will you, Bob? <laughs> And we must say that uh, the station does not endorse these commercials. They are presented for nostalgic purposes only. Light up a Kent, and you've got a good thing going. Good taste. Mild, mellow taste of Kent's vintage tobaccos. Flavor blended for good taste. And the Kent filter for extra good taste. Light up Let's see, we have here, oh, for heaven's sakes, we have an ad from... Harper's Magazine. Good old Harper's. And uh, they've been around a long time. As a matter of fact, my favorite Harper's Magazine is one I've got on my desk, which uh, is a Harper's Magazine from the Civil War. Yeah, I have a Harper's Magazine. That's how long they've been around. And you know, some of the writers that wrote for them then are still writing for them. And uh, for those of you who haven't seen Harper's in a long time, 100 years ago, well, it'll be next month, or actually this month, and, and it'll be April 1st, won't it, in a couple of hours. April 1st. Uh, 100 years ago, on April 9th, 1965, uh, they have 1965, actually, they, it's 100 years ago, Robert E. Lee surrendered his army of Northern Virginia at Appomattox Courthouse, and the big Civil War was over. And in a special 64-page supplement in the April issue of Harper's Magazine, Fourteen big-time writers discuss the whole scene. So uh, if you're a Civil War buff, I would suggest you pick up the April issue of Harper's Magazine, which is on your newsstand now. <laughs> so uh, that's very exciting. Now, uh, let's see. 
uh, what else do we have here in the way of uh, money things? Oh, yes, Peugeot. Good old Peugeot. Uh, I don't know whether they have any more of those tickets left or not. Do they? They're all gone? I don't know whether they have any more left or not. But for those of you who missed out on the big Peugeot thing, it's too bad. Don't miss out on the Peugeot itself. And uh, for the last couple of days now, we've been talking about one of our new sponsors, which is Peugeot Automobiles. You know, I'm surprised. I've been getting all kinds of letters from people saying, gee whiz, Shepard, wow, are you interested in cars? As if they just discovered that. Let me tell you, if I had all the money I spent on cars, I would not be working for WOR. Let me tell you that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if I had all the dough I've spent on cars, I would not only own WOR, but none of these klutzes that work around here now would be working, at least here. And for those of you who are interested in automobiles the way I am, I would suggest that you see the Peugeot, which is considered one of the oh, one of the seven finest automobiles built in the world. Incidentally, it is a family-type car. It's a beautiful French sedan. Uh, the steel in it is at least uh, uh, twice to three times the thickness of the steel in American cars. It's got all kinds of extras like sliding roofs and, and uh, kind of an air conditioning heater and all kinds of things. But nevertheless, it is a fine automobile. And the oldest car running in America today is an 1891 Peugeot. And uh, that's to give you an idea of what kind of cars they are. And if you're interested in seeing a picture of this car and getting a lot of little datasies and little bits and stuff about it, we would be glad to send them to you, uh, all the information. And you don't have to buy it. I'm just going to come pounding around and say, you're Peugeot's out here. Uh, just send your name and address to Peugeot, <laughs> P-O-O-J-O-E, Peugeot, here in care of me. I'm Friendly Fred. And uh, we'll make sure that you get all the information. By the way, the dealer here in town, right here in Manhattan, is at 2 East 46th Street, just off 5th Avenue. And uh, you can go down and take a test ride in your lunch hour. Take a check with you. It's got reclining seats. And, uh, it's an interesting car. Now, let's see. What else do we have? That's all right. Don't worry about it. Uh, do you have uh, anything else in there for me? All right. I'm on my own. You know, uh, it's it's uh, that's all right. I'll take care of that. You know, it's a funny business, uh going away, you come back and, and suddenly you get a, a totally uh, new uh, and, and fresh look at your town. Uh, I left it, it only takes a couple of days, and I think this is the beautiful part of travel, is to get a fresh look at the world that you inhabit. And uh, I was not only hit, I was stunned by how unbelievably dirty New York is. New York, believe me, must be next to some of the more... Uh, fecund uh, eastern cities must must rival the great cities, the, the worst cities in the world for total filthiness. You know, it's funny. Do you remember a few years ago the big hoopla of the Peace Corps girl who wrote from a country in Africa and she was complaining about the filthiness of the country? Do you remember that? It caused an international incident and they kicked her out of there. Uh, I believe the country was Nigeria. In fact, I know it was Nigeria. Do you remember that? Well, you know, I spent some time in Nigeria, uh, and the very city from which she was writing. And I can tell you this, that poor little chick never saw Sixth Avenue, or she would never have written that postcard. <laughs> I am serious. This city is absolutely indescribably filthy compared to other cities. You know, I, 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 I landed in Chicago, went through the streets of Chicago, and I used to think Chicago was a rotten, dirty, crummy city. And in fact, in Chicago, they think they're a rotten, dirty, crummy city. 
And you sit in the front seat of a cabin. Here you're looking at the spotless street, you know, out there. Spotless. And the sun is coming down and the buildings are all around you. And they've got lawns. And there are three cars on the street for the next half mile. And the driver is sitting out in front saying, oh, what a rotten, dirty city. What traffic. Look at the traffic. Look at that nut up there. The block and a half away. Look at that nut. Yeah, and, and, and you just you begin to realize that everything is perspective. It's in the eye of the beholder. And, and everywhere I went, people says, oh, boy. Oh, man. How can you? Oh, this place is so rotten, dirty. And they're talking about Chicago. And I am running around eating my scrambled eggs off the sidewalk. <laughs> because I am used to New York. And and, uh, and you get in a crosstown street in New York with the wind blowing good, and I'll tell you, it is there is more junk and crud in the air than the average Sahara sandstorm. And, and and noise, uproar, yelling and hollering. This place here is it's worse than any Oriental bazaar I've ever been in in my life, and I've been in some Oriental bazaars. And uh, I I, uh, I remember walking through the streets in that city in, in uh, Nigeria, looking for the place that this girl was writing about. Uh, you know, talking about how terrible it was, and she was she was complaining about outdoor. She was talking about outdoor uh, sanitary facilities. Well, have you ever walked past any doorways on Sixth Avenue? <laughs> oh man, I'll tell you, uh, this 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 uh, this town is a gas. And, and don't think for a minute. I'm going to get 45 letters saying, "Dear Mr. Shepherd, I'm a lifelong New Yorker. Go back to where you come from." I'm sorry, honey. I'm a New Yorker now, and I, I'm I'm a bona fide card carrying New Yorker, and I feel very qualified to talk about it. <laughs> I've got the bad knees to prove it. But uh, this this city is, uh, and, and of course, there's a certain excitement in the air here, uh, which you don't see in other cities or feel in other cities. But on the other hand, there's something else that you feel in other cities. Uh, what it is is hard to define, and I suppose it might be a kind of basic digging of the terrain, the area in which they live, the, the, the physical area. Uh, architecture is much more beautiful in other cities. You know, when you hear people talk about modern buildings, you know, you hear people yell about modern architecture, they're not talking about modern architecture, really. They're talking about New York office building architecture which is a very special thing and an extremely ugly thing. Uh, and, and, I, and I wonder how many writers, you know, that are writer, they're writing continually about subjects, but they only write about that air shaft that they see outside of their hotel room on 48th Street, that it has no relationship to America at large. And, and I, was, I was hit, first of all, by the fact that, that the architecture, what you call modern architecture, is far more beautiful in Chicago than it is here. Uh, in treatment, in tone, in feeling, in attitude, and in uh, in uh, situation, the, the the site that it's sitting in, where it is, uh, it is quite true that modern architecture. Of course, this is not modern architecture. Again, I must say that that I think what we're railing about here in New York City is not uh, uh, modern architecture per se, but it's uh, Park Avenue off office building itis. Which is merely like uh, Reynolds wrapped cubes. That's all. They're just up there to put people in, and uh, not only really to put people in, to put machines in actually, uh, to tie together with telephones. And <laughs> have you been on Sixth Avenue recently, up in the fifties? You have a feeling that you're in Nome in the eighteen forties. 
the wooden clappered uh, people hopping along over the puddles and the cigar butts and the crud. And, and it'll be there for years. And nobody seems to really say much about it. Every, that's another thing I've noticed about New York as opposed to other cities is New Yorkers, I guess, because they've lived in New York for so long and it is such a hectic, wild, insane scene, that New Yorkers have lost the indignation factor. That New Yorkers accept the fact that a truck and, and 45 guys in orange hats will block up three-quarters of a street for seven years, standing around out there picking their teeth and yelling and drinking beer and whistling at chicks, and, you know, and, and fixing one little fire plug or something out there. They accept that nobody says, what are these klutzes doing here? Let's get them out of here, you know. And, and we have lost the yeah we really have we've we've lost the the uh, ability to have or to engender civic anger. I guess that's that will be part and parcel I suppose of the brave new world when it finally comes in. Uh, the people will just be incapable of anger, but we accept uh, inconvenience as though that's part of life, as if that's a normal thing. Uh, it is totally normal. Uh, to have cigar butts up to your ankle when you walk along 6th Avenue. Hey, yeah. We accept the fact that people bang in each other's grills when they're parking here in New York. It's part of life. Just accept it. You know, well, you park on the street, you get your grill banged in. Nobody would think of grabbing that guy out of the car, you know, just banging the grills in by the scruff of the neck, hauling him out and socking him 50 bucks for that. It's parking. It's parking. It's a lady parking. She's in from London, New Jersey, you know. She parks that way. She's a car shortener. Uh, <laughs> oh man, you know it's it's a, it's a great wild thing when you when you get out of town and you you begin to see. You know, speaking of, of uh, coming back to perspective, uh, I see in the uh, Wall Street Journal. You know, the, one of the things about the journal is that uh, every time you mention any paper, no matter what paper you mention uh, on the air, at least this is my experience with me, uh, I invariably got to say, "Ah, oh, you sold out." I see. If I mention the post, I get an, a, a whole bunch of angry letters from people or, or uh, comments from people who are, say, Times readers. Uh, if I mention the Times, I get 45 angry comments from Village Voice readers that uh, somehow uh, you're sold out. But here is, a, is an ad from the journal, which I think, uh, would you please bring me some romantic music on? Cut number one. I think we'll do it here. Somehow. Very good. Very good. Cut it there. That's it, Bob. That's it. Uh, for sale. World's Fair scooters. Do you remember the scooters they had at the fair that you sit in and the guy drives? It says for sale. World's Fair escorters. Built in 1964 and used by Greyhound exclusively for transportation of visitors within the World's Fair grounds for six months. Equipped with rubber tires, gasoline engines, with electric starters, 12-volt batteries. It says uh, most of them were owned by a little old lady who didn't do much except drive around the fair on Sunday afternoon. Now, I, I, I took this, you know, I'm sitting in the plane, and they gave me a copy of the Wall Street Journal. And I saw an ad for used World's Fair escorters. And it immediately hit me, once again, we are faced with junk. What are we going to do with all that stuff out there at that fair when the fair's over? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> What are we going to do with that incredibly ugly Pepsi-Cola building? What are we going to do with the Billy Graham Pavilion? Have you seen all those hubcaps that the Billy Graham Pavilion is made out of? What are we going to do with that? It's getting it's it's getting out of hand. It's it's a uh, and and I thought well you know when you get a World's Fair escorter I'd love to see somebody buy one of these to take to the station every day. 
in Darien. And you notice the little horns? You remember the horns? How many of you remember the tune or the tone that the horns made at the World's Fair when they go around out there and they try to get you out of the way? You remember? What did they do? I'll give you the brass big leggy if you can hum it to me. How did it go? No, it did not go. It did not do that. It did not say... Come on, it played a tune. Do you remember that? You don't remember it, do you? You remember that they did play a tune, but you don't remember the tune. You do? Well, get on the phone. I want to hear it. You don't remember. Uh, you remember that thing? Uh, why do I have a memory for that? Why do I have that kind of sick, rotten... You know, speaking of, uh, of memory, as long as we're faced with uh, with the problems that, uh, you know, life is there and life is real and life is earnest. Uh, I was watching television in Chicago, and you have no idea how different television is in Chicago than it is here in New York City. Absolutely different. Uh, the people, they have a different look. Their newscasters have a different look on the face. Uh they're, uh, almost everything you turn on has a different look. The, the different sound, their voices sound different. And you begin to really see that this country is composed of about nine different countries, all divided up into little sections and little cross-sections. Uh, one thing I noticed particularly was the commercial in Chicago. Uh, we don't have much in the way of personal commercials here in New York City, and I don't know why. You know, have you thought about that, Bob? The personal commercial. Don't you know what the personal commercial is? Here, here, almost all commercials in New York are nationwide brands uh, that they put on. They'll, they'll put on Double Your Pleasure, Double Your Fun. You know, these are like Wrigley Gum, Mr. Clean, uh, all these detergents of one kind or another. Whereas in Chicago, about every 30 seconds on the late movie, you hear a buzz. You know, the, the movie will go, no audio system. And then you hear, you hear a little a little sound of, of switching going on on the TV station. And suddenly on comes a live guy. A live guy at 2 o'clock, maybe 1 o'clock in the morning, and he's got on a big white hat. And he's really alive, yeah. And he says, hi there, I'm Friendly Fred, your Pontiac dealer. I'm Friendly Fred, your Pontiac dealer, and I'm down at 2735 Stony Island, and I'm down here right now. In fact, this commercial is coming to you from my used car lot right at this very minute, and I want I want you all to walk, take, take a walk with me now. And I'm watching this, you know, with fascination. They're doing a live remote as a commercial at 1 o'clock in the morning. He said, I want you to come with me here. Come on, now bring your camera over here. Come on, son, bring your camera over this way. Now, now here, I've got a 1951 Hudson Hornet that is in like new condition. Now, you'll notice this wonderful classic Hudson Hornet, beautiful maroon color. Too bad this isn't in color. It's beautiful maroon color. Now, bring this camera around the other side and open up the door. And he opens up the door and says, now, here, uh, here, look, look, at, look at those seats in there. Look at that seat cover. That is as clean as a whistle. You know this car. Now, you're not going to believe it. Now, I know it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're awful tired, and I know that you're, you want to go to bed. But I want to tell you about this car because there's only one like it in all of Chicago. This car was owned by a Presbyterian minister who was paralyzed. He was paralyzed, and he used to come out. The, the congregation gave it to him as a gift, you know. He used to come out and sit in the front seat. They'd carry him out, and he'd sit in the front seat, and he'd play like he's driving. He'd just play like he's driving. This car has seven actual miles on it. 
Now, now I want you to, to take a look at under this hood here. Now, take a look at that battery. That is a brand new, I will include a brand new 24-month guaranteed battery. Now, uh, uh, Charlie, would you please start the engine in there? Uh, it's my assistant, Charlie. Uh, come on, Charlie, get on the ball there. We've only got another minute and a half on this commercial. Uh, get in there and start the engine. <laughs> Take a listen to them tablets. Listen, give me that microphone. Listen to them, listen to them bell springs. Yes, sir, folks, this car is a purring like a kitten, and she's right down here at 2747 South Stony Island. I'm Friendly Fred, your used car dealer down here, your Pontiac man, and I'll be right on hand right now. I can hear them phones are ringing. They're calling in. Here I go. I'll be back in another 30 seconds. I'll be back in another, for, give me a record. Just any record you got, just print it out. I'll be back in 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I'll be back. And it's Mid-America. It is Mid-America in action. A live commercial at 2 o'clock in the morning. Friendly friend with his big white hat and grin. And you sit there and you watch another another reel of Green Dolphin Street, which apparently shows on all old television stations all over the country simultaneously always. And they take off the third reel, and out comes another guy with a big white hat. This time he's got a chef's hat. And he says, hey, hey, I'm old Harry, your hot dog pizza man. And I'm down at 1742 North Ashland, and look at their pizzas. They're red hot. Any of you folks want a pizza right now, get on the phone. Oh, they're falling and hissling and bubbling. Oh, look at them pizzas. We got hot dogs. We got sauerkraut. We got chili. We got beans and rice. We got it all down here. We're open 24 hours a day, 3714 Ashland. Now, here's the phone number. Give a call now. It's Walnut Hill 74040. Walnut Hill 740. Get them pizzas while they're hot. This is old Pizza Harry, and I'll be back in a little 20 minutes. Kazoo. I picked up a new kazoo, by the way, when I was in Chicago, where the kazoos really grow on trees, like lemon drops and pink sugar bushes. But uh, I, I watched this, you know, that, and of course, are you aware that in Chicago, commercial watching is a major occupation? Now, I don't mean that people buy the commercial. It's, it's a major entertainment. 
And they just sit there and they watch those commercials and they're funny. And one guy after the other comes on with his hot dogs and his pizzas and his used Hudsons. <laughs> and, 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 and believe it or not, various guys get to have fan clubs. And so uh, if you're uh, Friendly Fred, the, uh, the nutty Armenian down on 2738 South Armitage, and uh, you're down there, and and you're your reconditioned hubcap dealer. They have fan clubs. They really they 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 have built themselves. It's kind of a pop art thing. It's a, it's it's all part of this galloping thing. And I watched this night after night, and I thought, gee whiz, wow, uh, how much more alive, really dynamically alive, their television is than ours. Now it's alive because uh, there's very little actual. Of course, they have films there. But almost all of their television has that strange quality of uh, people. Really, uh, gen- now they may, they may be slobs, uh, they may be just uh, you know uh, klutzes walking around. But there is a sense of genuine life about it, even though it's uh, it's that kind of life. Now, uh, what is it about New York? I don't know. Uh, very few live commercials of that kind are done here in New York City. Uh, and, and you can see it. You can see it uh, in, in in other things that we do. Have you noticed the curious lifelessness of, say, the New York World's Fair? The curious quality of, uh, oh, I don't know. It's like uh, like it's something that was turned out of a of a machine. It's uh, it has yeah. You know, it's 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 not really built for. Pe- it's just built to be there. It's not not built for people. And you go through. It's like some big exhibit. And and uh, maybe maybe uh, maybe we're uh, uh, maybe we're the dead ones here. I don't know. Maybe New York is dead. I'm I'm curious about that. Whether it is or not. Uh, now that is not to say that what is dying in New York or is dead in New York is uh, good or bad. But maybe uh, what America will be in the 21st century is growing somewhere outside of New York City, where those guys are hawking their wares. They're far more true folk talent and folk people in the European sense than almost anything that <clears throat> we have here. It's true Americana. Genuine. Uh, and and uh, I suspect that eventually uh, there will be European writers will come in uh, and, and will examine various uh, American things like uh, television as done in Chicago. <laughs> as done in Kansas City. You want to hear the, uh, the, the sportscasters out there. That's, that's something that... Uh, that would curl your hair, and uh, of course, uh, it's cold. Of the the coldness and the bitterness of the of the climate maybe adds to it. I don't know. I'm I'm uh, convinced that there's there's a lot more to it than just the fact that uh, we're New York and they're Chicago. And I'm not comparing one good against one bad. It's just there. You know, speaking of uh, of the good and bad, a couple of days ago, it's, it's curious how how things are all beginning to add up. Uh, as you go along, you, you see the, the rising tide of something. Uh, last night, we touched on the role reversal, the great role reversal that's going on. And you, you find it in, in some very uh, exotic places. Again, on the plane. I'm sitting on the plane, and, and there was, a, there was a, uh, a, an old newspaper. Somebody had stuck an old newspaper under the seat. And I pull it out. I'm just looking at it there casually. You know, another thing that surprises me in an airplane is the large number of people who never look out of the window of a plane. It's as though almost the entire airplane is devoted now to keeping people from looking out of the window. With the with the uh, the movies, uh, they've got all kinds of... And you hardly ever see a, a picture of somebody just looking out and saying, Holy smokes, look at 
Ohio down there. Look at that. That's the Ohio River. Or that's the Maumee River. Now, one thing that has changed in airplanes is very strong change. How many of you remember when you, when you would fly in an airplane? I'm talking about a commercial airplane. And the captain would hand back a little uh, thing, would come back from passenger to passenger, and it would tell you how far, how fast they're flying. It would tell you how what speed they're flying. It would tell you all kinds of little details. And then the captain would get on the on the intercom about every five minutes or so, and he'd say, uh, off to your left, uh, you will see the, uh, that's the Kentucky River off to your left. And that little town down there that's right by the bend of the Kentucky River, that's Maysville, Kentucky. And uh, if you'll notice off to your right, uh, that is what they call the Big Bend of the Ohio. Uh, this, uh, this is flood area here, and then you can see where the flood has uh, washed all the way up into those hills. And then there'd be another long wait, and then the, the pilot would get on and say, Now, uh, in, a, in a couple of minutes, we're going to be coming in over the Allegheny foothills. And if you look real careful on the, on the sides of the mountains, you can see the mine shafts. Uh, you can see where the miners, and they don't do that anymore. It's as though the country doesn't exist under them. They'll say, our, our feature movie today will be Pamela Tiffin and Doris Day, uh, featuring Who Shot John or Whoopi Land Revisited, co-starring James Garner. Uh, for those of you who would like the latest copy of the Reader's Digest, please ask the stewardess. We have uh, uh, Stereo Hi-Fi available. Uh, for those of you uh, who want Stereo Hi-Fi, and for those of you who want Pablum, uh, she'll be around with Pablum and some Castoria for it, those of you who like that sort of thing. Uh, have a good trip. This is your captain. And all the while, you're flying over this great glacier-pocked land. You're flying over the Great Lakes, where the glaciers have dug out these fantastic fingers, and you can see the long scratches in the forest below, where 45 million years ago, a glacier slid down from the North Pole and quietly melted to form the lake, that Great Lake Michigan. And nobody says a word about it. It just whistles over to 38,500 feet. This is your captain speaking. We are currently uh, flying about two minutes behind schedule here at WBAI New York. That was Gene Shepard from March 31st, 1965, subtitled The Playboy World, New York versus Chicago, which wraps up Mass Backwards for another week. And uh, Max Schmid, I'll be back Sunday night, 7.30, the Golden Age of Radio, right back here, same time, same place, blah, blah, blah. Stay tuned for Wake Up Call. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.